Welcome to FMC Radio, your officially unofficial source for all things Free Methodist. From in-depth discussions with key FMC leaders to daily updates from General Conference, we want to keep a consistent stream of information flowing to you regarding where God is leading the Free Methodist Church. I'm your host, Josh Avery, and I want to invite you to sit back, relax, and join us as we learn together now what it means to be Free Methodists in this episode of the FMC Radio Show. October 28th, 2019. This is episode 124, and uh, I'm excited to uh, bring to you the interview that is pre-recorded. I'm going to share with you on this episode our third kind of dive into worship, and it's just crazy how many times we can talk about this. This is our third week in a row talking about worship, but just a totally different perspective and totally different avenue that we're going down um, in every single episode. So it's just it's just amazing to have these conversations, and I'm excited to share this one with you today because personally, after this conversation, I've thought about it many times, and it's actually shared, uh, well, it's it started to change some of my thoughts and open up some new ideas for me personally. So I hope it does the same for you as you listen to this interview here. But we want to. I want to share um, two things with you before we do that. Um, the first, of course, as I said, it's October 28th now, so just a couple days. Thursday will be um, annual Halloween, of course, and um, and uh, what I've, I think I've mentioned this probably every single year that we've done the podcast, um, but I always encourage you to think of trick-or-treating as another avenue for neighboring. And I know there's different scenarios. Different people have different things they need to do. They have kids that they take out of their neighborhood, you know, to visit family or whatever. You know, or maybe your church does a big thing. You know, I understand all of that. But if you're sitting at home and, and uh, you have the door locked and you say, I don't really want to, you know, I turn off my lights so nobody bothers me on Halloween because I hate it when people come to the door and knock. Uh, just think about it in a different way. Um, this is the only time of year where people actually come to your door um, once per year, and they're going to be knocking. You don't have to go like the Jehovah's Witnesses and go knock on people's door, tell them about Christ. And in the same way, I mean, you don't have a whole long time to 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 really interact as the people come up to your home. Um, you know, you're not able to say to every person, "Hey, I want to share with you the gospel message." You know, you, you may not have that opportunity. But there's so many different things that you could do. Um, you know, I, for example, have a shirt that says "Free Prayer," so maybe that just opens up a conversation. Maybe you have a sign, or you have a, a shirt, or you have something that just says, "Hey, anybody who needs it, there's free prayer here." As you pass out candy, um, maybe it's a matter of setting your house apart from others. You know, most of the time, parents stay down at the end of the street. The kids run up, and then they run back to the parents, and they move on. But what if you had your Keurig set up, and you had free coffee and a big sign that says, "You know, free hot coffee." A lot of locations, of course. Are going to be really cold, um, in especially in the northern areas where I'm at in Ohio. So, to have this idea um, that you could, you know, set up a Keurig, invite people to come up, the parents come up. That's just setting yourself apart, and they're going to come back. Trust me, every single year, and say, "Hey, are, are you guys are the coffee house. I'm so cold. I've been waiting, looking forward to that cup of coffee." Um, and it just sets you apart. Um, and it it again just sets you up that it's not just a once a year thing, but neighboring should be in 
all year thing, that you should be reaching out to your neighbors all year round. And on that night, you continue that. You continue to to take that next step into neighboring. So it's just a, just a, again, just an encouragement for you to hopefully do something different. And I think last year I sh- we were able to share from a woman named Loren in New Middletown, Ohio, who talked about what their family does. They, they go all out. They do like a little festival in their front yard. Um, and, and tons of people come from all over for it. Um, but I want to say as an aside, if, if you're out there and you say, hey, our, our family does something a little different, um, would you please uh, just uh, you know, email me, call, whatever. Um, there's all sorts of ways. You can, you can message me on the Facebook page or, or through Twitter um, and just let me know. And uh, I would love to get you on and just, you know, even just for, you know, one, two minutes, three minutes and you just share. Uh, and then in a future episode, we could share all of those different uh, thoughts or different ideas. Because what it does is it's not just talking about to, to kind of glorify yourself. What you're doing is you're sharing ideas and people could take those ideas and use them in their own communities to, to reach other people, to reach out to their neighbors. So please be willing if, if you have something like that. Um, of course, the second thing that I want to do is uh, look at our Free Methodist World Missions Prayer Guide for the 28th, and it says we're to pray for a Tanzania, and I always, <clears throat> uh, Tanzania, I think I said that right. I always want to like start saying Taz from Looney Tunes when I think of Tanzania. I don't know why, uh, Tanzania, I want to I wanna pronounce it that way, but it's Tanzania. I said it the first time. Uh, so Tom and Sherry Cahill pr- spent two years as visa missionaries in Kenya. They are preparing to return to Africa, specifically Tanzania, to serve as extended-term missionaries. Pray for wisdom, proper time management, safety and travel, and the ability to share effectively during their period of partnership building. Today is Sherry's birthday, so we want to wish Sherry a happy birthday. Um, but Tom and Sherry are, are heading over here. They've already been two years in Kenya, and now they're returning to Africa, but they're going specifically now to Tanzania. So let's go ahead and pray for all of that stuff that uh, was asked for prayer today. Dear God, we thank you for this time that we have here. We um, thank you, first of all, for for these three bishops, and we know it's been a busy month. We're coming to the end of October now, and this is their first month. Uh, they were learning beforehand, but now they're getting into the 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 deeper stuff now into the day-to-day. They're having to make the decision instead of just learning about it. So there's probably so much stuff that they're trying to catch up on and, and be a part of. Um, and so we just pray your guidance, and uh, especially in their family lives as they're taking on all this stuff now, um, it's easy to just get so wrapped up, I'm sure, in all of the responsibilities. We pray that uh, they would you would give them the time to rest, give them the time of, of refreshment, and give them the time with their families that they need. Um, then we also pray for these missionaries here in Tanzania that are going there. Um, we pray that you will give them the wisdom, the 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 time management that they skills that they need, um, their safety as they travel, um, and then the ability that they need to share effectively um, during this time of partnership building and all of the things that they are going to be doing down there. Um, so. We just pray that you will strengthen them and the people around them and provide, um, as they're headed there, um, <clears throat> provide the, the path to be clear wherever they travel throughout Tanzania um, and that the people would begin to um, respond as, as they hear this message. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we'll be right back. you can. Sing all you want to. You can sing still get it wrong oh worship is more than a song 
Well, our conversation continues today on worship, and we've been continuing this great conversation uh, really across America with different leaders, um, different aspects to worship. And today we get a a totally different aspect that we're talking about this morning. And uh, we're talking today to Topher Noise, and he is in the Ohio Conference, which I'm also a part of, so uh, that's where I originally met him. And um, uh, Topher, thanks for coming on and talking to us today about worship. Oh, it's great to be with you. Yeah, um, I I want to I know I know a little bit about you and and kind of what you're doing and stuff. But a lot of people listening, who especially those um, on the West Coast, maybe don't know um, a, a lot about you. So let's t- tell us a little bit about your history in the FMC and kind of uh, walk us through where you're at now. Okay, sure. Um, I didn't actually grow up in the Free Methodist Church, uh, so I was grafted in. Um, I was actually born and raised in the Evangelical Lutheran Church, so the ELCA, um, and I came to the Free Methodist Church probably about halfway through high school. Um, I grew up in a very small town, and the Free Methodist Church there was the one church in the town that had like the vibrant youth group, so that's kind of how I got pulled in there, um, and ended up attending Greenville College, uh, now Greenville University, um, for my undergraduate and basically have been involved with the Free Methodist Church um, ever since then. Uh, married a, a lifer uh, who, who was born into a Free Methodist family, uh, Vanilda Reyes, um, and we are currently serving as an extension of her father's church, which he planted here in Cleveland, Ohio, um, in the early 90s. Um, so we are part of the Hispanic church, uh, Iglesia Nueva Vida, uh, but we are serving as a English extension of that church. So it's kind of backwards to kind of what a lot of churches are used to, uh, being predominantly English and trying to find a Spanish niche to reach out that uh, community. So we're the other way around. We are part mm-hmm. of a Spanish community that's trying to find ways to engage English-speaking people. Okay. So you— um, so, so, well, first of all, I was going to ask you, so did you meet your wife then at, through college? Yeah, so we met there at Greenville College. Uh, She was a freshman when I was a senior, um, but we didn't really start uh, dating until after I'd already graduated. So okay, okay. So now, and then of course, so she got you connected into even deeper into the Free Methodist Church. You know, your first connection was, I guess, just college, uh, and then kind of getting into that um, and into this now. And now, you know, like you said, you gave you already said this, but just to kind of bring up, we've been talking to. Um, you know, different people from different locations and to just um, hear what we normally hear about is that idea, you know, that we have um, kind of the, the standard, the, the church that's trying to reach out to the other cultures, you know, and it's made up of predominantly white people in the scenarios that we've been talking about. And then we're saying, well, we need to become more diverse. Um, and this has been a conversation that, you know, has goes back to when I was interviewing the candidates for bishops too. You know, they're looking at and they're saying, well, we need to get more diverse in with women. We need to get more diverse with people of color and, and you know, superintendents and boards and all this sort of a thing. But, and a lot of the conversations revolve around the opposite of what your church is dealing with, with, all right, well, we have all, a, a lot of, a lot of uh, white people, a lot of males involved, you know, in, in different things. And, you know, that's great to some extent, but we really need to kind of reach out to what's around us. Um, so you guys are dealing with the flip flip aspect of that, um, which makes sense because the, the pastor is Hispanic himself, isn't it? Is that right? 
That, that, that's right. So he, he came to the United States as a church planter um, to, to plant churches in the United States. He came as a missionary from the Dominican Republic to the United States, kind of the other way, yeah. other way around than what we're used to hearing. Uh, so he came and he planted a church in New York, um, ended up coming over here to Cleveland, planted a church here. And so we have a very vibrant um, Hispanic church at Iglesia Nueva Vida, probably 300 plus uh, members at that church. Uh, but we're trying to find ways to engage our community. We do. We are planted in a specifically very predominant um, Hispanic area, uh, but we do have other people um, in the area as well, uh, African-American community, um, some English-speaking people who we want to be able to reach out to and be sure that we are engaging them as we should be. So do you speak Spanish pretty well after this all this time? Um, I understand Spanish very well. Um, mm-hmm. I have a very, my wife would tell you that I speak very well, but I'm very shy and timid. So I'm very self-conscious about trying to speak Spanish. So I see. Yeah. Yeah. So what, so what is your role at the church specifically? Um, so we serve kind of as associate pastors. We're not really big on titles within, within the church yeah. uh, there. So uh, we are we are serving um, as the leaders of the English-speaking ministry. So we have an English-speaking service, which meets at 930 um, on Sunday mornings before the larger um, Spanish-speaking service begins. Um, so we do worship, we preach, we help with the youth. We kind of are over a lot of areas within church ministry. It's very fluid, um, so it's not really defined by specific roles sure sure well i know one thing that that you specifically um we're going to talk a little bit today about liturgy and we'll talk about how that connects to your service in a minute but some people um even especially those who have kind of only grown up in a in a church that that is contemporary um if we want to use that word uh, may Uh may may even know not even know well what is liturgy what are we talking about here so First of all, I just want to I just want to ask you to kind of tell us what is liturgy. Define it. Describe it to us. Okay. Um, well, liturgy um, literally means the work of the people. Hmm. Um, so it's it's it comes from a Greek word, which is a compound word. I won't get into the whole history of the word, but it comes from from two Greek words, which means um, people and work. So the the first Greek word. Uh, I believe it's laos, which is where we get the word laity. So when we talk about clergy and laity, you know, the laity, we're referring to everyone, all of the people in the church, right? not just the ordained pastors. So in that sense, it's, it's the people, the people's work, the work performed by the people for the benefit of others. Um, so liturgy is, is made up of all of the, the forms, the images, the actions, the things that we do that make up our worship. Um, or you could consider it as like the, the basic structure of worship. Um, and so some, some people would say, well, we're not a liturgical church, but I would say that, that all worship is liturgical by necessity because it's the people that are doing these various things. We just don't always recognize it as liturgy or use liturgical language to describe what's happening. Hmm. Yeah, because there are kind of those different categories that come into, if somebody is familiar with these terms, you know, they, they do, they contrast the 
contemporary service versus the liturgical service or right. you know they get in their minds immediately um which which i would say you know is connected to liturgy but this idea of the liturgical is uh, is actually defined liturgical response means that some the pastor's going to read something and the people respond um but there's a lot more to it is kind of what you're what you're bringing up to us right so um i'll just give you an example from from our our Spanish-speaking service, um, it's it's a very, if you came to our service, you would you would be, be maybe a little uh, disoriented uh, because it's it's very open, it's very free, uh, there's a lot of things going on at the same time, but, and they wouldn't describe it in this way, the people that attend the service, but there are liturgical things that are happening um, during the service. So one example being that um if the pastor or preacher is getting ready to read from the scripture, he will say, we read in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all of the people say, amen, just just out of habit, out of that's what is said mm. before you read scripture, and that's what the, how the people respond. Yeah. And and really, that's that's liturgy. That's, that's a, a specific form that people just, they acquire it over time, that this is what we do at this moment. Or, you know, we have an offering, we have a response to to the preaching. All of those things are liturgical elements, but we don't always call them liturgy. Yeah. So so one of the biggest aspects it seems like kind of that you're talking about is the interaction or the response between the elements of the service, regardless of what those elements might be. R- right. So so liturgy is is literally just the things that we do in worship. So we we gather together, um, someone will read a scripture, that's a liturgical element. We'll sing some songs, those are liturgical elements. We'll pray, that's a liturgical element. Those are, everything that we do in the service of worship is liturgy. It's just that we don't always call it that. When When people talk about liturgy, it's usually almost in a derogatory sense. Well, liturgy is like this, you know, old thing. It's just very repetitive. It's the same thing over and over. It's empty yeah. of any kind of spirit-filled um, experience, and that's just not necessarily the case when we're talking about liturgy. You could have high liturgy, which is very structured, like like you're saying with formal litanies and responses. The pastor says this, the people respond with this, often in a service uh, bulletin, or it might be up on a screen since we're more technically um, advanced now. So we could have high or low liturgy. We could have a formal or informal liturgy, but we always have liturgy going on. The most important thing is whether we have good liturgy or bad liturgy. Yeah. Okay. So give us give us some of that then. Tell us about the difference between the good and the bad. Um, well, to, to, when you say that a, a service is liturgical, and I'm speaking from from my understanding of what liturgy is, not necessarily yeah. what people are using to describe lit, liturgy. Yeah. But when, when we call a service liturgical, it, it simply means that the, the service was conceived in such a way that all of the people present are going to take an active part, and all the people are going to worship together. So, so really what good liturgy is, or what good liturgy should do, is to transform people from just being spectators into actual participants yes. in the in the worship. So, um, in our in our modern contemporary context, whatever you want to call it, 
um, oftentimes we can have a bad liturgy when, you know, the band is, is full on and they're playing as people are coming in. So they're already into a song and, and singing and everything and everybody comes in. And then finally the worship leader says, okay, now everybody stand up and sing with us. Well, the people have already experienced the band playing by themselves. And so you only get about a, a 20 to 30% response of people actually engaging in worship from that point forward. So, so in my view, that's kind of a bad liturgy where you have um, someone doing the work for the people um, and not letting the people engage themselves from the very beginning, if that makes sense. Yeah. But I like what you said about that idea of kind of the interaction or the um, just essentially all the members being involved who are present in the service. Because, I mean, since the times of Constantine and kind of the restructure of of how the church works in the building, everybody kind of sits and looks on as something happens up front. Um, right. I mean, there's all sorts of different types of services, um, but in, in many churches there's one or two aspects that everybody's invited to be involved in whether that's you know okay well your involvement is during the services you sit there but then when you sit everybody sings along to this song or you know it's oh it's communion or you know the mass or whatever everybody goes up and partakes of that that's the interaction piece but as far as the other aspects it's like well you know you just kind of hear what everybody's saying up there or you just look on as they do all the work um, and what what we're talking about here is in all the different aspects, uh, kind of designing the service or looking at the service as a way of everybody being involved in. Um, and it, it almost sounds like, especially for your church, uh, it's a habit that has developed in some some ways, like you, like you mentioned about the response to Scripture being read. Um, it's not something that everybody needs to be said, to, to be told at this point now. Um, and new people, I assume, who come along just kind of catch on after a few weeks. Oh, this is what, this is what we do. <laughs> Exactly. So, so if we could say that there is a, a outcome or a goal of worship, the, the, the goal is that the people participate. I mean, that's why we're there, you know, um, especially in our, in our modern culture where it's easy to become um, consumer minded, where we go, we go to church to be fed, right? That's the, like the buzzword that everybody likes to use. Well, I want to go to church where I'm, where I'm fed, where I'm, my needs are met and that kind of thing. And that's okay, but it's not really what church is about. It's not really why we go to worship. We go to participate with our fellow believers. We go to tell the story of God, to reenact the story of God so that we are formed into the image of Christ. Yeah, that's that's a. I like all of this. Uh, I like the way they're putting this stuff. So, so I, I know at general conference um, there was actually an event, and then there was kind of a gathering, um, and I was made aware of of something called the Free Methodist Liturgical Network, which I know um, you're a part of, and and there were a bunch of other people there that were involved with that. Uh -huh. So, tell us about what is the purpose of the FM Liturgical Network? What what do people do in in this network? Okay. Um, well, I, I'm by no means a, a spokesperson for the Free Methodist Liturgical Network. I am sure. part of, of the network itself, um, but I'm not like a part of the um, executive uh, committee or anybody that's kind of organizing it. Yeah. But I can I can tell you that, that the purpose uh, of the network is, is a, as we say on our 
uh, webpage is to connect and resource and encourage churches and pastors in their own ministries of worship and Christian formation. It's just that easy. It's just, just a place where people can connect with other people to find new resources um, to create better liturgy. Is Like I said, I think that's the goal is to have good liturgy. Um, and again, we all have liturgy, whether we call it that or not, whatever we are doing in our worship services, that's our liturgy. And that's just a place where we can come to be more intentional about what we are doing in worship, that we are forming Christ in people as they come into our church services. And it takes some, they're going to call it strategy or whatnot, but on the, on behalf of the leaders to be able to organize the service in this way to set it up because... Uh, well, first of all, would you agree with that, that it takes some sort of strategy to do that? Uh, oh, absolutely. So, um, yeah. And I, I would compare it to um, if you've ever been part of a, an ensemble, like a choir or a worship team or anything like that, the thing that people see, the, the performance, is you could consider it like the tip of the iceberg, right? The part that you see that's above the water. And then everything below the water, that huge mass of ice that's below the water, is all of the rehearsal and, and preparation and research that you've done to, to get to that uh, performance. So if we consider that the worship service as the offering uh, of the people is that tip of the iceberg, then we have to be intentional in, in everything that we're doing to prepare and engage the people in such a way that they can give their best to God. And so, of course, if, if there are these, if there's this strategy and there's this working towards it, this network is is very helpful to, I mean, you don't have to just come up with your own ideas. You don't have to just, you know, get to, well, what could we do to, to get people to respond more, to get more involved in this worship? Um, this is this network of people that can share Hey, this worked for for our church. This is kind of what we've been doing. Um, and with any with any group, with any kind of initiative, this is important um, to not just have to reinvent the wheel to start at square one, but be able to share uh, what's been working. Um, certainly, would be helpful for someone who is listening who says, "Well, our church is doesn't really have any uh, of this kind of liturgy we're talking about. It it's really just very uh, non interactive. Uh, maybe the first the first step for someone would be to uh, check out the liturgical network, talk to some people and see what's working in their churches. Yeah, I, I would encourage everyone listening to, to check out the Free Methodist Liturgical Network um, and, and really just go to the website, which is just fmliturgy.com. And there you're going to find um, all sorts of resources from YouTube videos of new songs that you can use in worship to book resources about worship um, to just different things that people have done. There's sample services for communion and Advent and all the seasons of the Christian year. Um, and it's just a good place to, to, to browse and see, well, what am I missing? Or what, what do I not know? Like, what questions am I not even asking? Um, it's a good place to go just to, if you want to um, see, okay, we want to start doing this x how has another church done this it's a great place for people to connect and say this worked for us or this we tried this but it didn't work out so well so you might try this instead it's just a, a great place for people to connect to see what other churches have done 
Yeah, and actually something that you just mentioned by mentioning Advent kind of just brought up another aspect of this that, that I've thought of before, but it, I have not been a part of any churches that I know of, or, or I, I know of some that do this, but when I think about the church calendar, we think about kind of uh, liturgy in terms of the church calendar. There are many more um, aspects to the church year that people celebrate often than the when when we're focusing on liturgy um, rather than the rest of the churches. In other words, I said that kind of in a confusing way, but but to mean that you know Christmas and Easter in many churches are celebrated and talked about, um, but even Advent that we just use a lot of churches don't even you know the Advent candle aspect the. Um, leading up to Christmas and all those aspects, they don't even do that. And I know there's even more, you know, kind of church calendar items and celebrations that could be added in. Um, do you personally, do you guys um, a- celebrate some of those things? Do you incorporate some of those things into your service? Uh, w- we do. Um, I, I, I grew up in, in that, um, as I said, I grew up in, in the Lutheran church, um, and and we celebrated the the. Christian year, so we followed the lectionary. Um, so by the time I left, if you're not familiar with the lectionary, it, you basically read the Bible in the course of three a three year span. So there's lectionary cycles A, B, and C, um, and we're coming to the close of year C currently. So the whole thing's going to start again this Advent, in just a few weeks. Um, but by the time I left uh, to become part of the Free Methodist Church, I had heard the Word of God read almost in its entirety, five times hmm. before before I had left, because we followed the lectionary every Sunday. Um, so at our church, uh, we we do celebrate Christmas and Easter, just like, you know, every Christian around the world. Yeah. Uh, but there are so many Christians around the world that also celebrate these other seasons, these other moments, and the whole church calendar is just a retelling of God's story. Um through the person of Jesus Christ. So the Advent um, anticipates the coming of the Christ. Um, we celebrate Christmas. We, we come to the new year. We celebrate Epiphany, um, which is, you know, God being made known. Um, we, we go through the whole season uh, of Lent, which is anticipating and looking forward to um the crucifixion of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, but we also celebrate um, Pentecost. We also celebrate the ascension of Jesus. Um, we celebrate all these things because it's God's story. It's really what what we're all about. So I I really struggle with with churches that well we'll celebrate Christmas, we'll celebrate Easter, um, which is great, and we should do those things, but we miss out on so much when we don't um, look at these other events. Uh, of of God's story and recognize them as things to celebrate. Yeah, and it is interesting when we think about it. How many people don't think twice about it? They don't. They don't even consider it to be a problem at all. Well, well, we, we celebrate Christmas and Easter. Well, why not these other uh, parts of God's story? As you as you put it really well. And and one thing that I've seen, um, and I mean, we've kind of already set this aside, this claim in, in all the things we've been talking about, but you know, so many kind of contemporary leaders who are focused on, okay, how do we reach the next generation? I mean, that's really the heart, which is, which is great. 
how do we reach the next generation? You know, so they're they're you know maybe making some renovations to the church building. They're trying to do different style of music. They're trying to bring in younger people. And when they come into the conversation of liturgy, I mean, I've I've met so many of of these kinds of leaders. They're constantly their first thought is, well, that's you know that's the old way. That's the old people love that stuff. But you know, Advent, you know, the young people they don't really like that. You know, that that's boring. That's ineffective. I mean, we've already kind of broken down that argument, but but how would you directly respond to somebody who came to you and said, well, I don't think that's going to reach the next generation of people? Yeah, um, I, I would argue that I think the next generation of people are the ones that are really going to recover this stuff that we've lost mm. um, because I, I think that that's what they're hungry for. I think that they are reacting to where we have come to um, if I, I work part time at Barnes and Noble, um, oh. and so I get to see all of the product that comes into the store. And I am sad to say that we receive our Christmas product almost at the end of August, into the middle of September. That that's when Christmas kind of begins um, in the in the retail uh, world. So in in our broader culture, Christmas gets pushed further and further into the fall right yeah. so everyone's already ready listening to christmas music and getting excited and all of this this stuff but when we celebrate these these seasons like advent it teaches us to wait it teaches us to slow down it teaches us to to look up um and i think that that's what young people are really looking for i understand that some people see liturgy um, in a broad sense, as, as empty ritual, right? That's kind of what they say. They say that it um, signals some kind of rejection of the Holy Spirit. Um, but I, I don't think that that's true. Um, when, when we look at like an example, like every week we would say the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, depending on the, the season. Um, and if saying the Apostles' Creed, which, is, which are words that many people died for, Right. Yeah. If saying the Apostles' Creed is an empty act, then then that says more about us and not necessarily about the creed. It says more about who we are and what we think is is important as opposed to these actual words, this declaration that people died for um, is, is somehow empty. It's not empty at all. It's just that we are not understanding what the words are saying. Yeah. 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 That's, uh, this is, this is, um, all good. I'm thinking through all of this stuff too, for in a, in a different aspect as you're talking about this too. It's just, um, I think for a lot of people, you know, going to be listening to this, it's, um, something that we, we need to address in the churches, but also, in our individual lives, how we look at some of these things. I mean, just to use your example a minute ago of, of just Christmas and kind of, you know, and that's probably the best example of com the commercialization and kind of a, a switch in our individual minds towards things. Um, but to be able to um, take all these other things that maybe haven't even ever been celebrated by us as individuals, um, you know, to, to think through, well, what is the epiphany? What is the, you know, celebration of... Um, of Pentecost, what it, what what do all of these? What would this look like for me to celebrate this? Why would it be important to go back to those stories, you know, uh, on a yearly basis? What would it look like for me to have said that I heard, 
you know, the Bible all the way through every three years. You know, those types of things, um, I think we all need to stop to consider um, whether, again, whether we decide, if, if you're a leader, for example, whether you do the formal or informal liturgy, the low, the high, to, to take some of these aspects and say, well, what would this look like? And I agree with you that uh, as I talk to younger people and I see the trends, um, it's things have changed from even just five years ago or so. You know, five years ago, we might have been able to say, yeah, to, to get a lot of young people in, we need to, you know, have that exciting music and really fun, you know, music or whatever. And I would still argue even for that. I mean, it, it got people in, but they didn't necessarily become disciples of Jesus. Um, but what we're seeing now is people, yes, they're, they're looking for something real. People are saying, all right, well, there's a lot of fake stuff out there. I want to know, you know, what actually matters. And this is the stuff. I mean, if, if the stories of Scripture, you know, if these, if these um, pieces that we're talking about don't matter, then, you know, what really does? So, so yeah, so I, I think um, in all of this, there, there's another kind of old word that, that isn't used a lot of times around churches anymore, um, but we know more about it than, than we may realize, and that's the sacraments. And I wanted to, uh, you're, you, you, I think you have more of the like book of discipline and like stuff about like, like John Wesley memorized than anyone I know. So I feel like you're a good person to ask about this. <laughs> Tell us, some people don't know who, what are the free Methodist sacraments? What are they? And how could they be forms of worship? Um, okay, so in in the Free Methodist Church and through most Protestant churches, we we celebrate two sacraments. Um, one is baptism, and the other is the Eucharist or Holy Communion or the Lord's Supper or whatever you want to call it. Um, so we celebrate those two, um, and and really the, the whole point of being Christian is to become like Jesus, right? Um, and the sacraments are key ways in how we do that, um, because we understand that as human beings, we were created in the image of God, uh, but because of, of sin and, and the fall, we kind of messed that whole thing up. Um, and so by attempting to imitate Jesus, who is the perfect image of God, um, that image is restored in us. And so the sacraments help us to do that. Um, the, the sacrament of baptism is shown to us by Jesus at the beginning of his ministry, right? So Jesus goes and he's baptized by his cousin in the Jordan River, and the heavens are opened, and God says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Um, and then communion, the Eucharist, um, is celebrated at the end of Jesus' ministry as he celebrates the Last Supper, um, with his disciples. So these are two things that Jesus himself instituted, and that's kind of one of the requirements for a sacrament, is that it's something that Jesus himself instituted or commanded. Um, so he tells his disciples, you know, after the resurrection, before the ascension, he says, go into the world, make disciples of all nations, and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Right? So he commands the disciples to continue baptizing just as he was baptized and at the last supper he tells them to you know whenever you eat this whenever you drink this remember me so those are the two sacraments that we celebrate uh, within the free methodist church and again they are uh, a sacrament of what i would call um, initiation into the church and baptism 
and the other is a sacrament of, of celebration, of remembering Christ's death and sacrifice. Yeah, I mean, one, um, it, well, I've seen people who have, you know, for, for different reasons, been baptized maybe a couple times. Maybe they, they went to Israel and they got baptized in the Jordan, you know, they want to be like Jesus. But for the most part, uh, most people have been, you know, they get baptized one time and it's this, uh, you know, as we've just said, this um, outward sign, the inward decision. It's the sacrament um, to, you know, of worship, of what has happened. Um, but it's a it's an exciting thing for most people and it's a one-time thing it's something they look back on they remember excitedly um and then kind of not op opposing but on the other hand we have communion um and through communion this is something that depending on the church twice a month once a month but that comes up often and with anything that comes up often it's it's almost different from the baptism which people look back on they're like i remember that time this happened and everybody was there and it was really you know really meant something versus communion to a lot of people they say oh yeah we're doing that today and oh yeah i forgot i'm gonna go up and get my stuff and oh afterwards i'm gonna go to lunch and people don't um, really take it as seriously over time it, it can become to many people almost a kind of this ritual this standard repetition of just oh yeah we're doing that it's the first of the month take this little juice and the, and the bread and go back to my seat and then go home. Um, so how do we get out of that rut in, in some of those repetitious things when it comes to this liturgy um, and the sacraments and move into true worship in those moments? Right. Um, well, again, like you, like you said, baptism is kind of this one-time deal, right? Um, so for myself, I was baptized as an infant. So I don't really remember my my baptism, but I celebrated what's called the the affirmation of my baptism or my confirmation, as some churches do it, um, where you reaffirm what was placed on you as as a child or as an infant, um, and and really that's what we are doing anytime we take um, communion is we are reaffirming that God chose us. So, so baptism is kind of this initiation sacrament, but it's also a sign that God chose us. That, that at, at Jesus' baptism, the heavens are open, and God is, God is the one who is saying, you are my son. God is the one that's pointing, right? We always think of baptism as this, this human expression of, this is my profession of faith, this is something that I'm doing. Yeah, but and, and it is that, and it can be that. But at the same time, really, what baptism is about is God choosing us. You know, you did not choose me, but I chose you. So God chooses us in baptism, and that's kind of what we're we are re re saying, reaffirming. Anytime we take communion, we are saying that I am God's. I am chosen by God, and I am celebrating the sacrifice that Christ made for me on my behalf. So. Um, if you were baptized as, as a, you know, an adult or a teenager or a younger child, um, oftentimes you are submerged in the water. So we have like a full, full pool in our church, like a baptismal pool. And, and you are submerged and then come out. And, and that is significant because what we are doing is we're retelling the story. We are re-affirming um, that Christ was buried 
and then he was raised. So we are becoming like Jesus. As I said, that's kind of the whole point, is that we become like Jesus by being buried in baptism and coming out again. And that's the same story that we retell uh, anytime we take Holy Communion, is that I, I am identifying myself with, with the death of Jesus Christ. I am doing this in remembrance of the sacrifice that he made. Yeah. Uh, because that's what, that's what God is, is calling us to, is to imitate Christ. And anytime we participate in these sacraments, it's an act of, of imitating Christ. Um, and that's kind of what Paul says, um, you know, in Romans is, is that, you know, if we share in, in Christ's death, then we also share in his resurrection. Um, that we do these things so that we can identify with Christ, we can imitate Christ, and share with Christ in all uh, of the promises that God has for him. Yeah, again, and just in another example, as we've been talking about with Suji Alvarez and, and Ephraim, just talking about how, sure, worship is, you know, a song, and that's the standard thing we think of. Oh, it's time to worship. It's time to sing a song. Uh, oh. But it's so much more, and in these sacraments, um, I, I mean, there's there's great stuff to a song, but this is even almost deeper than any song that we could sing because if we, if we can fully understand, if we can grip to take communion again, what is really happening, um, it's not something that we would take so lightly that we would just say okay well this is the week to do that thing um but it's it would be that reaffirmation it would remind us of the moment you know when we uh dedicated our lives to him it would remind us of the moment that he you know died on the cross it would there's so many different aspects that really we could focus on one each each time we take communion and have a different kind of aspect that that we're getting out of it or that god's revealing to us or reminding us of um, to kind of reconfirm our faith. Um, and so many people do that in the sense of they, they say they went to the altar and, and rededicated their lives to Christ or whatever. But, you know, that's that can be part of, of communion, of, of that reaffirmation, that rededication, that, you know, saying, you know, all right, I, um, it's not that I've fallen off the path, but I'm just making this re, a, new, a, a new in my heart again. Um, returning to the source of, of what it all means. Um, go ahead. Right. No, there, there are three things really that, that, um, hinder our, our participation in worship or, or three reasons that we come to this idea that certain things are, are empty, empty ritual and just habit. And these things can happen in quote unquote liturgical churches or contemporary churches themselves is that, that worship is done for us is the first problem. Or worship is done to us, or that we don't understand what is happening in worship, and so w- worship is is ineffective when we let those things happen. And so what we what we need is not to, you know, contemporize the church and make it more culturally relevant, but what we need to do is to recover mindful ritual. That we need to to recover a a understanding of what is going on in worship. So. As leaders, we need to ask questions as we are preparing worship services. We need to ask ourselves, you know, will the congregation understand what this particular worship element is about? You know, or how how will this particular um, action or song or other element facilitate their own worship of God? 
um, and it's always going to be the responsibility of the worshiper um, to, to, you know, kind of open their heart to God. I'm not saying that it's all on us, but we can attempt to, to provide, you know, effective um, and, you know, different kinds of means of worship so that people can respond. And, and communion is one of those things where people are responding to, to God's word. Um, if you if you consider like the order of a worship as you know there's a gathering, um, there's hearing God's word, there's responding to God's word, and then there's dismissing or sending. The communion usually should follow the reading of scripture and the sermon, you know, which is like the exposition of the scripture. So communion should be a response to those things. So so how we order worship matters just as much as the things that are part of worship. And that comes back to to the earlier discussion of just so much that is put into it or that needs to be um, to kind of organize and it and it and people may say, I don't know where to start and it goes back to that that community, that network um, in, in one network that is available, the Free Methodist Liturgical Network, and just getting on the page, same page with people so that we can get deeper in our worship, um, which will do all the things that we've been talking about, not just uh, allow for our current congregation to be involved, but it also, as we've been saying, I've just I've seen the same trend that, that Topher has been talking about, this trend of younger people going back to the, these these quote unquote older ways, you know, these, 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 uh, this liturgy or this, uh, way of life that some people have abandoned. Um, and so, I mean, I see this as accomplishing many things. Um, one of them being getting the, the church more involved and, and in the worship, um, as a whole, as everybody together, but also even the outreach, because we're seeing this, people want to see meaningful, something meaningful and what could be more meaningful than the types of things that we've been talking about today. Um, so this is certainly something that, that any leaders, any individuals that kind of have, uh, that have control of, of aspects of the churches need to be considering, need to be thinking about, talking about at the leadership team meetings uh, to make these changes and to get people involved instead of just having the kind of, I sit and I watch what happens up front. So... This has been a this has been a great uh, discussion and a lot certainly a lot of things that I've been thinking about personally too during our discussion for for my local church. So uh, thanks so much, Topher, for, for talking to us and um, giving us yet another aspect of worship this week. No problem, Josh. It's been great to talk to you. Yeah, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Because I can sing all I want to. Yes, I can. Sing all I want to That's the measure you must take to cross the idol.